Hello and welcome to Happier, a podcast where we discuss cutting-edge science, the wisdom of the ages, lessons from pop culture, and our own experiences about how to be happier. This week, we'll talk about why it's helpful to have your words ready when you're facing a tough situation, and we'll talk to the brilliant Simon Sinek, author of the new book, The Infinite Game. I'm Gretchen Rubin, a writer who studies happiness, good habits, and human nature. I'm in New York City, and with me is my sister, Elizabeth Kraft, my sister, the sage. That's me, Elizabeth Kraft, a TV writer and producer living in L.A. And Gretchen, I have to say, even though I talk a lot, sometimes I don't have the right words. Uh, (laughs) It's a constant struggle for us all. And listen, we're coming up at our last set of live events. Yes, our last events of 2019 are going to be in Atlanta, Charlotte, and Brooklyn. So get your tickets. Come see Happier Hour. We've been having so much fun meeting listeners. Um, it's a very interactive show, so we've gotten lots of great ideas, too. Yeah, but I want to caution people. Whenever I think of an interactive show, I'm worried that, like, I'm going to get pulled on stage against my will, mm, which I've yes. seen happen to people. This is not that. This is all purely voluntary. Do not worry. We will not. We will not. Uh, yes. No mandatory participation. But it is so fun to to meet people in real life. Now, Elizabeth, you promised that you would update us because somebody had a suggestion for your racing thoughts. Yes. Okay, so Gretchen, I was mentioning on a recent podcast that I will lay awake at night very anxious with racing thoughts going through my mind. Several people wrote in to say, if that's happening to you, write the thoughts down on a piece of paper in the middle of the night, and then you will be able to go back to sleep. And one of our listeners, Craig, actually sent me a couple of pads of paper, pens, and this amazing little flashlight that isn't a bright light. It's a very soft light, so it doesn't wake you up as much as turning on a light. Oh, yeah. And I put it by my bed, this little, you know, the pad, pen, and the flashlight, and I have actually used it, and it does work. And do you find that you can then go back to sleep more easily because you've written it down? Yes, it's amazing. I mean, it's like, so I wrote down like email about, you know, the after school program or whatever it is that I'm, that's racing through my mind is something I'm worried I'm going to forget or I'm worried about. Or even last night, for instance, I couldn't find my blankie. You know, I sleep with oh, a blanket. She's done from since, my baby blanket. Yeah, this is her baby blanket. The blankie has been part of Alyssa's life for her whole life. I can attest to that. I have spent many, many hours like searching for the blankie and uh, yes. making sure we pack the blankie. So anyway, I couldn't find my blankie, although I knew it had to be somewhere, but it was, you know, bothering me. So I wrote, wrote down blankie, you know. Yeah. So it's like, even if you just write it down, somehow it helps. And then I went back to sleep. So thank you for that. And um, I'm planning to sleep better from here on out. I like that idea of the flashlight because I think for a lot of people, like they would go into the bathroom and turn on the light and write it down, you know, if there's somebody else sleeping in the room with them. But then you've got that bright light and then that wakes you up. Yes. So the flashlight is key. Yes. And now, Elizabeth, it's time for our Try This at Home tip. And the idea for this week is that when you're facing a tough situation, have your words ready. Now, I love it when people have just the right words for difficult situations. And this tip is about taking the time to craft those words 
for yourself so that you're saying just what you want, you're communicating what you want. And by figuring them out in advance, you save yourself time and an energy and emotional drain that comes from trying to articulate a complicated thought sort of on the spot. So what got you started thinking about this? Well, it was interesting. Um, a really good friend of mine is going through a divorce right now. And she mm. said that she got the advice to have this, like have your words ready. Meaning if you need to tell somebody what's going on, have your words ready. So her words were, you know, John Doe and I are getting a divorce. It's not what I would have chosen, but now that it's happening, I feel a sense of freedom. Mm, that says a lot. That says I a lot. Totally get, I totally get it from that. Yeah. And it kind of shuts down further nosy questions. Yeah. Well, and similarly, a friend of mine who had a baby who was born with some very serious health issues also said something mm -hmm. similar. She sort of came up with a statement and um, had it ready so that anytime somebody was asking her what was going on, she didn't have to search for those words and drain herself. She just sort of had it pre-cooked. So ideally, like what, what would having the words ready look like? Like how long should it be? Yeah, I think it's something like two to three sentences that briefly set out the facts of the situation you know, adds obvious information that people are going to want to know and then maybe characterizes how you're feeling about it because mostly that's what people want to know. They're kind of like, how are you handling this? How, how are you dealing with it? Remember with Eliza, my older daughter, she had that health issue, that growth issue before she was born. And it was scary. It was, it was scary that she had this issue. And so I had to over and over again explain to people what was going mm -hmm. on. And I didn't have something at the ready. And I remember it being really hard and challenging to kind of explain it over and over to people. So I wish I'd had a statement prepared. I wish I'd had my words ready. So now, Gretchen, that you can actually think of what those words would have been, what would you have said ideally? I think I would have said something like, the doctors have identified an issue with Eliza's growth and I'm on bed rest and will almost certainly deliver her at least a month early. We're both being very closely monitored by great doctors. And when she's born, she'll probably be in the NICU, in the neonatal intensive care unit, for some time. And that's scary. But in the end, everyone is very confident that Eliza will catch up in her growth and everything will be fine. Mm, I mean, yes. And so it was, it was all true. And But I think it's right. like people are like, are you being, you know, like, what's going on? That, that's sort of like all yeah. the questions that I got over and over in kind of a nice, neat little package. Gretch, I could have used this recently when the fix got canceled. Oh. I wish Sarah and I had sort of decided what three sentences do we want to say? Because also our emotions were so all over the yes. map yes. that sometimes we'd be like, oh my God, I can't, we're so depressed, we're just devastated. <laughs> yes. Like, how Aww. can we even continue in this business? Other times we'd be like, oh, whatever, you know, I mean, so I wish we'd sort of said, hey, it was a great 10 episodes. Of course, we wish we got another season, but we're so happy that we had an amazing experience with a great cast and crew. You know, just I wish we'd had something standardized. Well, I think it's easier than answering it a different way every time. And kind of your example is a great point that also, you emphasize for yourself, like, what, how, do, how do I want to think about this for myself? How do I want to frame it for myself? And how do I want to frame it for other people? How do I want to go out into the world with this? So yes. something like, we're really proud of what we did. And we, we had a great time working with a fantastic group of people. That's true. Other than like other ways you could characterize that, that maybe are less positive. So it helps you stay on message for yourself and for other people. Yeah. 
And I don't know. I just think it's exhausting also when people are like, well, how are you thinking and what's going on? It's like, especially if it's something that's hard to think about, it just it just feels like it takes a lot out of you to even put things into words sometimes. Yes. And then, of course, with close friends and family, you can <laughs> talk on and on and on yeah. about how you feel about things. But this way, you just are prepared and you don't have to be sort of assaulted by fresh questions every time. Yeah, I think having a statement like this that's sort of a complete little tiny package, I think it makes it easier to end the conversation. You know, if you don't Mm -hmm. want to keep talking about it, it sort of has a definitive quality to it. Like, this is the official statement from a government office. We will take no further questions at this time. It kind of lets you shut it down, but in a nice way. And therefore, you don't have to dread going out into the world. It's like you can go to the cocktail party because you know when people ask, oh, how's your husband? You know exactly what you're going to say, as opposed to not wanting to put yourself out there because you don't want to face questions. Exactly. So let us know if you do try this at home and how having your words ready has worked for you or might work for you in the future. Let us know on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook. Drop us an email at podcast at GretchenRubin.com. Or as always, you can go to happiercast.com. This is episode 246. So you go to happiercast.com slash 246 for everything related to this episode. Coming up, we've got an email chain happiness hack. But first, this break. Noom is the habit-changing solution that helps users learn to develop a new relationship with food through personalized courses. Based in psychology, Noom teaches you why you do the things you do and empowers you with the tools you need to break bad habits and replace them with better ones. Because everyone's different, Noom adjusts to your lifestyle. They teach you the psychology behind the decisions you make and then help you keep track of everything from workouts and steps to analyze your diet and recommending healthy recipes. Noom also connects you with a personally assigned goal specialist and a community of other Noomers, so you have all the support you need to empower your change. Gretch, you know, I love Noom. I love all the tools it has, especially the step tracker and the weight tracker. I rely on those every day. Yep, you don't have to change it all in one day. Small steps make big progress. Sign up for your trial today at Noom.com slash happier. That's N-O-O-M dot com slash happier. What do you have to lose? Visit Noom.com slash happier to start your trial today. Okay, Gretchen, it's time for our happiness hack. And um, you came up with this because um, you were frustrated recently with an email chain. Yes. So this is a hack related to when you are in a long chain of emails, with you, often with several people, where they kind of drift away from their subject. Because people, it has one subject line, but then whatever is in the content of the emails drifts away or actually contradicts what's in the, in the, in the subject line. In my case, what happened was it said, it was like meet on Thursday, but then everybody couldn't do it on Thursday. So then it was going to be Monday. But every time you looked at the email, it kind of mm-hmm. reinforced the idea that the meeting was on Thursday. And I was like, mm-hmm. somebody's going to get this screwed up. It just, it's, it's too misleading. And so I went in and changed the subject line in the chain. Now, the problem with this is if somebody's looking for that chain, it's now not part of that chain. So there's a little bit of a risk, but I think usually people are just following along the discussion and it's yeah. better to have the subject line being updated to reflect what is everybody talking about now? Because again, if people are looking for, okay, what about the discussion of the live tour events or something like that? 
have that be in the subject line to, right. to prod people's minds rather than having the subject line being something like set the calendar for 2020. And you're like, what is that even? Because now we've moved way past that and we're into a whole nother subject. Yeah. And Gretchen, I like that you're giving this hack because I often have the urge to change the subject line, but I feel like I'm being presumptuous. Ooh. Ooh. Well, so well, I, now I, that you've given me permission, <laughs> I'm going to go ahead and do that. Well, maybe this is part of my happiness bully, though. Maybe that is presumptuous. <laughs> Let us know. Weigh in. Is this something that it, should you not do this? Maybe you shouldn't do it. Maybe this is a hack that I think I should no, do. No, I but think it's good. Do you think it's I think it's good. But no, now it's just you, I'm going glad you've given me um, license to change the subject line. <laughs> you can, but we'll see what others say. Bus free. Um, yeah. Well, yeah, I, that's interesting because maybe there is sort of a circuit split on this. I would be interested to know because to me, I was like, this is, a, this is like such a revelation to me about how to maintain clarity in email, which is such a challenge when you've got like long chains going on. But I'd be interested to know if somebody thinks it's a bad idea. That's good. Okay. Any email hacks, welcome. Send them in. We need them desperately. Yes. And now it's time for an interview. We are so excited today to be talking to Simon Sinek. He's the author of several blockbuster bestsellers, including Start With Why and Leaders Eat Last. His TED Talks have had more than 44 million views. Now he has a new book, The Infinite Game. We can't choose the game. We can't choose the rules. We can only choose how we play. We're so excited to have Simon here with us today, and he's actually here live and in person in New York City with me. Hello, Simon. Hi. Thanks for having me. Hi. Now, this is a fascinating distinction that you're drawing between the finite game and the infinite game. What is the finite game? What is the infinite game? And why is it so important to understand which one you're in? So in 1986, a a wonderful uh, philosopher by the name of James Carse sort of articulated these two games, finite games and infinite games. A finite game is defined as known players, fixed rules, and an agreed-upon objective, mm-hmm. you know, baseball. Right. In a finite game, there's always a beginning, a middle, and an end. Uh, and then there is an infinite game. An infinite game is defined as known and unknown players. The rules are changeable. In other words, you can play however you want. And the objective is to perpetuate the game, to stay in the game. Mm. And when you put a finite player versus a finite player, it's stable. You know, baseball is stable. Right. And when you put an infinite player who's plays by the infinite rules of uh, infinite way in the infinite game, that's also works perfectly fine. Problems arise, however, when you play with a finite mindset in the infinite game. Mm. Right. Mm. When you show up to win in a game that has no finish line. So, for example, there's no such thing as being number one in your marriage. You know, and there's no such thing as winning politics. There's no such thing as winning global politics. Mm. And there's definitely no such thing as winning business. No one's declared the winner of business. Right. Mm -hmm. But when we listen to the language of too many leaders, they talk about being number one, Mm. being the best, and beating their competition. Right. Based on what? Based on what agreed upon objectives, based upon what agreed upon timeframes, and based upon what agreed upon rules. So this is beyond even kind of like slicing up a pie. It's like you don't even understand there is no pie. Well, it's, I mean, pie, you can't even think in terms of pies. Right, right. Pies are finite. Right. You know, there's, Uh uh, uh, and um, like I said, business, business is an infinite game. And when we play in an infinite game with a finite mindset, there's a few very consistent and predictable things that happen. The decline of trust, the decline of cooperation, and the decline of innovation. And so we, one of the reasons so many of us feel uncomfortable when we go to work 
you know, the, the increased amounts of stress and pressures that we feel is largely because our companies are being built with a finite mindset. The mm. problem is we're playing in an infinite game. And so we have to learn to adjust our mindset for the game we're actually in. Right. And so how do we do that? Like, how, do, how can you adjust your mindset if you are in a sort of finite place, you know, where people are acting by those rules, but you know it's an infinite game? So one of the most important things to remember about the infinite game is it's not the absence of finite games. It's the context within which finite games exist. So you can have mm. wins and losses, but to what end? Right, 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 right. And to adopt an infinite mindset, I've learned, takes five things. We have to have a just cause. You have to adv- work to advance to just cause. Um, you have to foster trusting teams. You have to embrace your worthy rivals, um, have the capacity for existential flexibility, and have the courage to lead. So a just cause is about having a vision. Like, where, where, what's the purpose of all this? Where am I going? Right. What, what cause am I working to advance? Where in finite games, we work to win based upon uh, uh, agreed upon metrics and timeframes. In infinite games, we're working to advance something. You'll never get to the end. You know, like this country was founded with an ideal, a vision that all men are created equal, endowed with unalienable rights, amongst which include life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Now, we're never going to actually get there. Right, right. We're never actually going to get to a point where all people in our country are are equal, but we're going to die trying. That is the point. And all of the milestones in our nation's history, the abolition of slavery, civil rights, women's suffrage, gay rights, you can see our, our ability to try and move closer and closer to that ideal. But we're always working towards it. And that's what a vision is. It's something that we strive to get closer towards. You know, it's, it's, it's like you cannot run a marathon without mile markers. You know, mm-hmm. metrics are important. But imagine that there's no, there's no end to this marathon. But the metrics still matter. Those, those milestones still matter. Right. But we have to have a reason to be running in, in the race in the first place. And we have to know what direction we're running in. Right. What are we aiming for? What are we what aiming yeah. for? Right. right. So that's what a just cause is. You got to have one of those in the infinite game. The other thing is about fostering trusting teams. Well, so yeah, and really expand on this because that's a, a big theme throughout the book is trust. Mm. Why why does that matter particularly here, and and what can we do to foster more trust? Because this is such an important thing, but it's it, it is hard to kind of get your arms around it sometimes. Well, we're social animals. Yes. We're, we're tribal animals, and our our very survival and success as a species. It depends on our ability to trust each other. You know, you can just imagine, you know, you know, 40, 50,000 years ago, our ancestors out on the on the savannas, you know, we had to trust each other. Otherwise, I could never go to sleep at night. I needed somebody to stay up yeah. and, you know, alert me to danger. Right. You know, hmm. so so trust is a is a is essential to human beings, and this is why friends matter and relationships matter. You know, we are we we are no good solo. Right. It just we 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 suck so you know by ourselves, but together in in groups and teams we're remarkable. Um, so trust is an essential component, and so to play in the infinite game, in other words, to con- keep moving, we have to work constantly and continuously to foster trust. So I'll uh, so what does that even mean? Right. You know. So fostering trust is about creating an environment in which people feel safe to be amongst their own, uh, sort of psychological safety, where people feel safe that they can raise their hand and say, I made a mistake. Right. Or I don't know what I'm doing. Right. Or you've promoted me to a position yes. where I'm not qualified and I'm going to need more training. Right. Or right. I'm scared or I need help without any fear of humiliation or retribution. If anything, we express these things to our colleagues or our bosses with absolute confidence that they'll be there to support us. 
and that's that's where trust comes from. It's it's sort of this psychological safety, this this circle of safety that we're in, where we feel safe amongst our own. And if but, we uh, work in an organization that does not offer us uh, a, a circle of safety, then what we do is we come to work every single day lying, hiding, and faking. Well, here's an example of this that I, I remember very much from my own work life. So when I was starting out working, um, my father said to me, my, my father, who's very wise, said, if you're willing to take the blame when you deserve it, they'll give you responsibility. And I really internalized that, and I thought a lot about it. And so I was at a situation where people were working. I, I was in between a team that had done something, and then I was speeding it up to upper levels. And somebody up above me was very critical of what the team had done. And I said, it, that, that's my mistake. I gave them the wrong direction. They were doing what I thought they should do. And so that's totally on me. And I really was like, oh my gosh, this, is, this, this could be really bad for me. And in fact, it only helped because the people below me felt like I, I took responsibility for it and protected them. And the people above me felt like I was being honest with them about a mistake that I'd made. And, and it, so it increased trust, but I felt like I could do that. Whereas I think in some environments, maybe you would feel like I can't, I can't risk even doing the right thing. Hollywood, for example. <laughs> yeah, you feel like that's, that would be more risky. Yeah. Well, it requires courage, and our courage comes from the support of others. Right, yes. You know, if somebody, you Ooh, know, if you, have somebody, if you have somebody in your life that says, I believe in you and I've got your back, it'll give you the courage. Yeah. You know, courage, you know, we're not born self-confident. You know, our confidence comes from our parents and our teachers and our friends, and it comes from the people around us. Mm. A, a, a world-famous trapeze artist would never try a brand-new death-defying act for the first time without a net. Mm -hmm. The courage is external. Mm. You know, they, they have courage. They do crazy things every day, mm -hmm. but, but they're not going to try something new without a net that's external. Mm -hmm. And so the same goes for us, which is, you know, nobody has to, like, dig down deep and find the courage. It's, we will have the courage when somebody says to us, you got to do this. It's the right thing to do. Or I believe in you. Or even if it goes completely south, I'll always be here to support you and take care of you. That's what gives us courage to do difficult things. Well, and then you see that's how trust would build on itself. Because if you feel like the people around you have your back, the people closest to you, maybe your peers, then maybe you're going to speak up in a, in a more risky context because you're like, I have trust and people have my back. Yeah, of course. Yeah. So I, I, I think, you know, I think we forget this, that, that we're social animals and as much as we want to feel trusted and trusting, we have a responsibility to trust. And leaders uh, are the ones who trust first. We call you leader not because you're at the top of the hierarchy. You know, I know many people who are who are top of the hierarchy who aren't good leaders. You know, mm. you know, they, they we do yeah. as they tell us because they have authority over us. Mm -hmm. But we would never follow them, and we certainly don't <laughs> trust them. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And I know people oh, who yeah. who have who have no authority, and yet. They've chosen to look after the person to the left of them and look after the person to the right of them, and we trust them and follow them anywhere. And so— What do you do to show, to build that trust? Like, I would think one thing is, like, keeping confidences would be an obvious one. What are the things that tend to create trust? So you're asking me what makes a, success, a successful friendship? What makes a successful marriage? You know, there's no, there's no five things that you can do, although we all have to do these five things. It's like, well, listening is a good one. You know, mm -hmm. uh, 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 taking responsibility for your own 
actions is another one. Mm-hmm. Taking my, my one of my favorite ones, a good example of taking responsibility is like, I'm sorry you feel that way. Oh gosh, you know, the you, classic you, one. Well, Fourth ca- graders know about that. You, you one. can't apologize for yeah. how I feel, yeah. but what you can right. apologize for is the thing you said that made me feel that way. Well, I can't make you feel anyway. Yeah, yeah, you can because yeah. your words and actions definitely make me feel things. Yeah, yeah. You know, <laughs> uh, uh, I'm sorry if I if if I'm sorry if something I said offended right. you. Right, like that. How like how unspecific is that? Yeah. So when yeah. I, I I drive people crazy sometimes because they go, well, I'm sorry. I'm like, well, what are you sorry for? Right. And they're like, well, I'm sorry you, you, you're upset. Well, what do you think you did that made me feel upset? You want to take responsibility for that? I, and like, until somebody can say, I'm sorry that I said that, I realized that it was insensitive and I realized that I right. shouldn't have said it and I realized... You know, and not giving an excuse. But, you know, it's just the heat of the moment. People say stupid things. That's not responsibility yeah. either. So I think these are some of the things that we can do. It's called being a good friend. And none of these things are easy. And we constantly make mistakes. And it's every single one of us is a work in progress. And it's like exercise, which is it requires discipline and hard work. And we slip up all the time. And sometimes we're lazy. And But it it requires constant, constant attention. Being a good friend, being a good partner to someone requires constant, constant attention. So or do you think, what are some of the like pitfalls? Are there things that you see over and over organizations or families or people doing that kind of undermine trust? Maybe this not taking responsibility is one of them or, or not. It's kind of mistakes were made type, type talk where no one's really owning it and that, that right. undermines trust. Yeah, I mean, taking responsibility for my, my part of it. You know, even if you don't take responsibility for your part of it, which is always disappointing, but I'm not saying sorry just so that you'll say sorry. You know, but usually, as your experience, you know, with your your work experience uh, demonstrated, usually when somebody does take responsibility, it actually makes it easier for the other person to take responsibility. Oh, 100%. And that's the thing that's like, it works like a, like a miracle. It takes all of the bad feeling out of the room because people are like, okay, somebody's owning up to it. So either yes. I feel vindicated or I feel like now I can admit my part in it too. It's like, it, it's so, it creates so much more good feeling. Well, that's why I say leaders go first, right? Yeah, leaders they take set the, that tone. Leaders take the risk to go first, and any one of us can be a leader. Leadership has nothing to do with hierarchy. Uh, that's just that's just hierarchy. That's just authority. Uh, leadership is 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 the, the want, need, or desire to see those around us grow and rise. You know, it's a responsibility. Leadership is a responsibility. And, mm. so, and so you're a leader. We call you leader because you went first. First to trust, first to apologize, first to listen you know, that's what makes you a leader. Uh, and we can be leaders in our relationship. We can be leaders in our families. We can be leaders amongst our colleagues. Or we can be leaders in, in companies, too. And Simon, you head up a team yourself. Do you ever find it hard to put these things into practice in your own life? Of course. It's, 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 it's I mean, <laughs> I feel like, yes. I mean, this stuff is all work in progress. You know, our company, we have all the same problems as any other company. It's not like we always uh-huh. want people think like coming to work for us is like utopia. <laughs> yeah, uh-huh. It's not. There's, there's, uh-huh. you know, it's, it's not utopia at all. You know, we have all the same stresses as every other company. We have all the same issues as every other company. Right. The difference is how we deal with it. Yeah. Which is we, mm. we strive very, very hard to practice what we preach. We err on the side of patience. We try and err on the side of empathy. You know, we make mistakes constantly, but we, tr- we're, it, we're, we like everyone else, we're a work in progress. You know, um, and I'm very proud of that. I'm very proud of the fact that our default is to try to do the right thing mm-hmm. uh, by others. But like all relationships, you know, I'm always astounded by you meet people in great relationships and everybody says the same thing. It's hard work. 
Mm. Like nobody, you know, people think, oh, great relationships are easy. No, great rela- the easy ones are the bad relationships or the relationships that go nowhere or the superficial relationships. I've had so many easy superficial relationships. Mm. But the ones that really matter are the ones that require nursing and attention and accountability and sacrifice and all of that stuff that sounds awful, but in practice is actually really magical. Now, I know you took the four tendencies quiz. So tell us your tendency um, and your... You feel like the quiz did not actually accurately capture your tendency. Correct. The quiz told the quiz told me I was a rebel, but I didn't like the. It didn't sound right when I read it. Mm. I'm I'm a questioner. That Mm. that resonated with me. And questioner and rebel overlap, so there is a lot of common ground there. Um, But what was it about the? Do you remember what was it about the questioner that sort of struck a chord with you or made you feel like it was the accurate one? You know, I try and approach the world with an open mind, Mm -hmm. and. I tend to I tend to be curious, and I well curiosity has nothing to do with being a questioner. Every well, you're the expert, be, so yeah, you, yeah, yeah. you should tell me. I love creating a framework where I'm the one who created it because I'm the worldwide expert. Yeah, curiosity it's 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 um, you have to have a reason to do it. It's but you can be very curious and be any of the other tendencies because that's not what's making you do something. Okay, so why am I a questioner then? Well, if you are a questioner, you could. I, I get. I am getting a strong rebel vibe from you, so I could see you being either of those. A questioner is like, if you ask or tell them to do something, they're going to say, "Why should I?" A rebel is going to say, "You're not the boss of me." And so, a questioner, you always, they always are looking for reasons, justifications. They hate things that are arbitrary. Rebels are much more like, you know, I've got to do what I want to do. I've got my own vision. I'm going to do things my own way in my own time. I'm going to forge my own path. And it's sort of like, yeah, it does. I mean, you want me to do it a certain way, but, you know, I kind of got to follow my own way. So there's a lot of overlap there. So that's just how I would say that they are, they're different from each other. I'm still a questioner. You're still a questioner. Well, yeah. <laughs> many of the I mean, I march are. to the beat of my own drum, but it's not, it's not just because. You know, it's there has to be a good reason for the things that I do. And if, if the established way of doing things is better, then I'm happy to do the established way of doing things. You know, I don't have to. I'm not contrarian. Uh-huh. You know, uh-huh. I'm not like, well, that's the way you do it. I'm going to do it my way. You're going to do it. You want I'll do it. I'll do it. The, I'll, I'll do it the way that's the best way to do it, whether it's my way or your way. How do you feel about New Year's resolutions? I think they're ridiculous. Why? Uh, because um, why do I need a special day to make a resolution? Okay, there we go. You are a questioner. That's the touchstone. Yep, right there. We got him to arbitrary in less <laughs> than 30 seconds. That is the classic yep. question. Yep, that's you're a questioner. Exactly so you were right. The quiz mischaracterization, you diagnosed yourself correctly. Well done. Well done. Now, and then Simon I can, I can do it on March 7th, just as arbitrarily yeah. yes, as I can do it on January 1st. there you 1st. go. And there we have questioner. Oh Let's flip That is funny. Right? So, Simon, um, we always ask people if they have a try this at home tip for yeah. our listeners. Do you have one? Yeah, sure. Uh, there are many things we can do to adopt an infinite mindset. One of them is is to stop thinking about winning and losing and start thinking of ahead and behind. So for example, mm. you know, I lost, I, I didn't get that promotion or I didn't get that job. I'm a loser. Mm. Are you? Maybe you're just behind. And some mm. days you're ahead and some days you're behind. That's just how it works. There's no winning and losing. There's no right or wrong or good or bad. There's just ahead and behind. And no one can determine whether that's good or bad. So there's this wonderful uh, Chinese story of a, of a young man who's born with a remarkable uh, talent for riding horses. And everybody in the village says, you're oh. so lucky. Uh, we know this story. And, this is our mother's favorite story. And the monk says, we'll see. And he falls off his horse and breaks his leg and ends his career. And everybody in the village says, you're so unlucky. And the monk says, we'll see. And then war breaks out and all the men are sent to battle and he can't go because of his busted leg. And everybody says, you're so lucky. And the monk says, we'll see. Good, bad, who knows? Right. 
you know? So ahead and behind for sure. So I think one of the practices, one of the mindset think, tricks we can learn to embrace an infinite mindset is when good or bad things happen to us, quote unquote, instead of laboring ourselves winners or losers. So don't take ourselves so seriously when things go right. And don't think that the end of the world is nigh <laughs> because things go wrong. But yeah, just think of it as ahead and behind. In other words, it's the journey. It's the journey that 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 we're in. It's not because there's no end to this journey until the day we die. And and then life continues without us. You know, life doesn't end, just right. our lives. So that's one thing. Uh, another way is to start thinking of the other players in the game not as competitors, but as rivals. Because when we think of other players as competitors, we try and beat them, right? I want to be number one. I want to get a promotion before you do. I want to make more money than you do. Those are competitors. A rival is someone who's, who's, whose strengths reveal to us our weaknesses. We've all wow. had the experience where someone at work got a promotion and we got angry. Like, think about that. We got angry at someone else's good fortune. Well, they don't deserve it, you know? Well, what is, what is it about them that it's revealing in us? And that's what happens, mm. uh, you know, our worthy rivals, their strengths reveal to us our weaknesses, which is an opportunity to grow. Mm. Whereas a competitor is someone to be beaten. A rival is someone who who helps us keep pace and helps us push ourselves harder. Mm. Alyssa, don't you have a fra- phrase for that in Hollywood? Um, You're I, yes, nam- like basically identify a pace setter, I think. Pa- yeah, like, pace setter. But I, that's why you say embrace your rivals, Yeah, Simon. And, and stop, little, stop thinking of the other players smart. as competitors. Right. You know, they're just other players in the game, and they have some strengths, they have some weaknesses. You play your game, and they'll play their game. Sometimes you're ahead, and sometimes you're behind. There's no such thing as winning and losing in this game. Right, and you can learn from them. And you can learn from them, right. So I think that's that's a good one, too. That's Embrace your worthy rivals. I mm. love that phrase. Well, Simon, thanks so much. It's so great to have you here. Thank you very much. Thanks for having Thank me on. You. Yeah. I appreciate it. Thank you. Coming up, a demerit and gold star from our recent travels. But first, this break. Okay, Elizabeth, it's time for demerits and gold stars, and this is your week for a demerit. Yes, Gretch, we keep giving um, demerits and gold stars based on our traveling, but, you know, travel does um, warrant often a lot of happiness demerits. Yes. Now, this, mine is about luggage, and I talked about luggage last week, and I'm talking about it again. Now, here's what it is. I wanted to pack lightly for our latest trip together. Yeah. I was determined to use a specific bag that I had, even though it really wasn't quite big enough. And as a result, I spent the entire weekend stressed, like, am I going to be able to close this bag again? (laughs) I couldn't bring on anything else. I got a t-shirt in Kansas City from the venue where we performed, but I had to leave it in Kansas City until Christmas because I was like, I can't even fit one extra t-shirt in this bag. And had I just brought a bigger bag, I would not have had this problem. Right. Well, one of my secrets of adulthood is always leave a little extra room in the suitcase because it's it's surprisingly stressful to be like at your max. Yes, it is. And I have three sizes of carry-on bag, roller carry-on bags. Oh my God. And I use all three sizes. It's not even one of those things where you have one and then the other two you never use. It's like (laughs) I use all three. But see, this goes to being an underbuyer because I'm like, even though I know I need a bigger carry-on bag, I just, I can't make myself buy one. Okay, I think I see a Christmas present in your future. (laughs) (laughs) So that's my demerit. Uh, I knew when I was doing it, I said, am I going to spend the whole weekend worrying (laughs) about the size of this bag? Probably. Oh, well. And I did. So there you have it. 
Now, Gretchen, give us your gold star. Well, mine was inspired by travel, too, because I was having the question, should I bring my running shoes or not? Like, I I was going to wear my flat little tennis shoes. Mm. And I thought, well, we're walking around. I could just wear those. And then I thought, no, I am going to pack the running shoes, as bulky as they are, because nothing is as great as running shoes. And I want to get, you know, people talk about gratitude and staying grateful. And I think it's very hard to be grateful for the things that we use all the time, like contact lenses or elevators or whatever. And I think... Hmm. Every day I should give a gold star to running shoes because as comfortable as people say other shoes are, to my mind, nothing is as comfortable as running shoes. I want running shoes with me everywhere I go. I will never <laughs> I will never go out of town without running shoes. You'll never take them for granted. I will never take, well, I might take them for granted, but I'm going to try not to take them for granted because I love running shoes. Gold star to running shoes. And that is it for this episode of Happier. Remember to try this at home when facing a difficult situation. Have your words ready. Let us know if you tried it and if it worked for you. Thank you to our wonderful guest, Simon Sinek. Check out his new book, The Infinite Game. Thanks to our executive producer, Chuck Reed, our engineer, Bob Tabador, and everyone at Cadence 13. Get in touch. Gretchen's on Instagram at Gretchen Rubin, and I'm at Liz Craft. Our email address is podcast at GretchenRubin.com. And if you like this show, please be sure to tell a friend. That's how most people hear about our show. And also subscribe to the podcast wherever you listen to your podcast. The resources for this week. Are you reading along with the Happier Podcast Book Club? You can join the discussion on Goodreads. Remember, we are reading I Am by Isaac Mizrahi coming up. And if you'd like to present an in-person workshop with a group of adults to teach them about my four tendencies framework, you can learn more about how to do that at workshop.gretchenrubin.com. Until next week, I'm Elizabeth Kraft. And I'm Gretchen Rubin. Thanks for joining us. Onward and Upward. So, hey, guys, my fiance Nicole, she actually solves the problem with the luggage. Instead, she actually brings a suitcase with her and packs it in her suitcase. How does she do that? She gets a little foldable, collapsible one that she puts in the suitcase. And when she has other things to buy, she has an extra suitcase at her destination. (laughs) Oh, genius. Genius. There you go. From the Onward Project.